Light from Lantern presents Knit a Spell. I'm magical maker Katie Rempe. And I'm the maker of magic, James Devine. Join us as we stitch together the symbiotic relationship between crafting and the craft. Hey, Jim, welcome to episode 22 Going in Circles. How are you? I am awesome. Uh, I hear this episode is going to be kind of amazing. I'll tell you what, when I first had the episode for this, or for the idea for this episode, I planned out everything that I wanted um, us to talk about in September under the symbology umbrella, you know? Yeah, we and, talked about like the Ouroboros and yep. the Mobius strip, yes. like this idea and... It totally yep. made sense. Like, oh, yeah, maybe knitting or whatever has the circular quality. Yeah, sure. Exactly. Um, no big deal. So- it's just on our list. One of the yeah. things on our list. Exactly. So yeah. I was like, okay, well, I think it's time that we tackle that one. Um, and so my research began. And <laughs> I'll tell you what, it went from a very simplistic idea where I thought, okay, you know, an Ouroboros and a Mobius, they both have similar shapes. Let's uh, now explore what they are and then some of the magical qualities about them, you know, as we often do in our episodes. However, as I began my research and to deepening the connection between the two, it quickly became obvious that the theme at the heart of this episode was bigger than I had anticipated. (laughs) What? <laughs> yeah, I know. So um, so we're going to do things a little bit different. And I'm going to tell you the tale of me learning about the Ouroboros and the Mobius and how they tie to each other in both the sort of magical, um, existential kind of way and just in knitting. So dun, dun, dun. I, know. I can't wait. Oh, my God, this is cool. Well, um, I'm on for the ride, the loop de loop, circular ride. That's right. And we'll see how it comes back around. And I'll yes. try to make as many circular, infinitely, um, you know, spiral uh, yes. puns as I possibly can. Please don't let me down. That's usually my job. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm counting on you. <laughs> I'm here for it. Awesome. Okay. So where do we start? Obviously, the same place I started, which was what exactly is an Ouroboros? Because... You know, it's it's one of those things where you hear the word and you're like, oh, I kind of maybe know, like it's a it's a circle maybe, or like a like a sideways eight, if you will. You know, the infinite symbol, but like, but like, what is it and, and why why it start right? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's, I mean, people think of the lemis lemiscate or the le, like the mm-hmm. the infinity symbol, yes. right? Which is if you're familiar with the tarot cards, that's the symbol above the magician in the magician card, right? Mm-hmm. And it's that sideways eight. I think of the Ouroboros as being the serpent eating its tail yes, symbol, exactly. right? Exactly. Well, it's funny that you say that because it literally means tail devourer in Greek. <laughs> tail, it does? Oh, I didn't yes. know that. Tail devourer. Mm-hmm. Hard yes. to say in English. Yeah, I know. But Ouroboros is also hard to say. Yeah. Oh, I was calling it a Orboris at one point, And I was like, wait, no, am I thinking of Roy Orberson? Because I, that is not correct. No. <laughs> <laughs> Did Ray, was Ugh. it Ray eating his tail? Does, are his songs circular? 
Yeah, maybe. Ray, well, Ray Ouroboros. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> funny you say that because um, loops do appear in music. So kind of maybe. <laughs> Whoa. I know. It turns out the Ouroboros is super compelling as a symbol because it has been around for like a millennia, appeared in numerous forms in an array of contexts and geographies, um, and was probably most originally depicted, as we said, with the snake eating its own tail in a closed circle. Supposedly, (laughs) the oldest appearance of this symbol was in the shrine of Tutankhamun, uh, or, you know, King Tut, back in the 13th century BC. So it's been around for a hot minute. (laughs) That's a long time. That's amazing to think even back in Egypt. And it makes me wonder, Mm -hmm. did someone actually witness this behavior in actual animals? I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting that it would be the snake, right? Or... Uh, as we'll find out, not only a snake, it's often like a serpent or a dragon or something along those right. lines, but it's always almost that like reptilian long symbol. So. I mean, we see dogs chasing their own tails. That's true. Right. Yeah, they're going in circles too. It's kind mm. of fun. Yep. Well, they're yep. getting information through that circle too. Yeah. Hmm. The symbology in terms of Egypt, at least, uh, referred to the mystery of the cyclical nature of time, of how it flows back into itself. Um, the ancient Egyptians understood time as a series of repetitive cycles and instead of linearly moving <laughs> and constantly evolving. And that was central to their idea of thinking about everything, mainly because, you know, the Nile and the sun were too like, physically evident um, symbols of this happening. So that was uh, very interesting. Um, and huh. much like the sun, uh, you know, it goes under its own journey. Um, let's see. And then oh, sure, so- above the sun, above and below. And we had yep. talked about that on the sun and moon episode. Yep, our the sun goes episode. above and below. Mm-hmm. And so is that part of the Ouroboros uh, symbolism also? Yes. Exactly. That circular journey of the, of the mm-hmm. day and night. Yes. Um, in fact, the, let's see, uh, once the Egyptians had their time with this symbol, the Greeks also took it up, um, especially the alchemists in the old um, Hellenistic Alexandria days. Um, so that is also the oldest uh, alchemy signs that is also used. So, of course, it's crossing over into a new branch, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially symbolizing something very similar. Uh, this, In this case, it's eternity, the endless return, again, the very cyclical nature of time and the unity of beginning and end. So similar right. to how the Egyptians were looking at it. Yeah, um, of course, the circular idea of what is ending is beginning the, mm-hmm. And that sort of, it always comes back around. So it continues to be uh, a very attractive symbol, as we then find it is very significant to the Gnostics as well. Um, from their viewpoint, um, opposite ends of the Ouroboros were interpreted as the divine and earthly in man, which, despite being at odds with one another, uh, exist in unison nonetheless. Um, it's also very similar in sense to the Chinese yin yang, again, as we were talking about in our last episode. So <laughs> right. it all comes back around, right? Uh, oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> hey. Yep. So, and then it continues to grow in traditions like around uh, Norse, North. Norse mythology, there we go, Mm -hmm. Hinduism, Mesoamerica, um, even in one of their uh, deities. It's the one with the Q that looks like the snake. 
go figure. Oh, right. So, so if that weren't enough, of course, then the Renaissance period comes through, and that's where the alchemists really get a hold of it. Uh, again, representing the infinite nature of time. Uh, it was seen in the eyes of the alchemists as being the ultimate obstacle for them to overcome in their magnum opus. So their incessant struggle for becoming immortal, their chief aim meant to break this circular cycle of the Ouroboros once and for oh, all. Oh, so the cycle mm-hmm. sort of implied that there would be an end or like that the cycle would be broken. Mm-hmm. Thus, you lived outside of the cycle of life and death. Is this the right. idea? Yes. Oh, and by discovering the... Um, the uh, philosopher's stone, you know, that's the key to eternal life, thus stepping outside the bounds of of this mortal coil. Yes. yes. Indeed. So. I see. I mm-hmm. see. That's fascinating because I guess I think about the cycle being sort of that eternal cycle, but that's an interesting way to think about it is the philosopher's stone would give us access outside of that. Exactly. Wow. This is so interesting. Yeah. Things I never even thought about the relationship between them. (laughs) Deep symbolism. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So what else did you find? Okay. So then one of my favorite examples was, (laughs) say we scale back to, uh, scale back viewing everything to all that there is, right? All that exists would be in one unit, and in this unit would be virtually everything from the physical to abstract, uh, sharing the same repetitive pattern of birth and of death and of instance. Um, A human being is subject, as we know, to birth, growth, maturity, and death. And so is civilization, and so is seasons, and so is virtually everything (laughs) subject to uh, things that create are subject to death and death creates. So in a way, creators, creation creates creation. <laughs> Even right. in death, something is growing. So, right. um, and so I, this, you know, we, I, I had no, just ahead. had this conversation this past week where I'm like, mm. we were talking about death and, uh, and the death card in the tarot. Mm. And I'm, I'm like, well, yeah, the death card in the tarot, People are always like, it doesn't mean death. You're right. I'm like, uh, yeah, it does also mean death. It means it doesn't just mean death and it doesn't mean death. And it's a scary thing, but you know, it's okay for it to mean death because like symbolically as, and we were talking about this over lunch Mm. and, and it was with, we were having, we just happened to be having a vegan lunch. Mm. Right. And I'm like, you know what we're doing right now? Death. Yeah. You are eating the death card, literally, because that salad and that hummus Mm. that you're eating with those carrots is death. You are participating in death right now because those garbanzo beans wanted to live. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like that poor little salad, right? And that, and that is the most alive food. Like those little greens are still alive. Mm-hmm. And you're munching them to death. Yeah. Right. They live to die. And, and <laughs> like that, us all. Right. And through that death, you are alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It right? gives you energy. It creates energy. Their right. death creates energy. It's actually that moment. Like the Ouroboros, what's interesting about the Ouroboros isn't necessarily the body of the snake. Like mm-hmm. everything that we look at on that image of an Ouroboros, we don't really 
pay much attention to what's below like the circle. It's just, we're not looking at the scales mm-hmm. or at the little feet here and there. We might notice them, but we're attracted to one part of that circle of the Ouroboros. And what part of the Ouroboros do we stare at? The it's face. where the mouth is yes. eating the tail. Yes. <laughs> the and action. That's a, every time you have lunch, that's what you're doing. Mm, right. Yeah. This mm. is like death and life is occurring. Yeah. You're completing right? every cycle. time. Yeah. Right. Every time you're eating a meal, mm. even if it's a vegan meal, even yes. if it's, of course, if you're eating a steak, it's a lot more evident. Right. <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Right. <laughs> anyway. So it's a very interesting conversation. It's just reminding me of what you're talking about, mm-hmm. that like life and death are completely connected. Yes, and it is the balance of everything. When we look at the nebula, in the Mm. universe, right? In the galaxy, that's the birthplace of stars. And what is a nebula? It is the remnants of an exploded star, right? It's the gas, it's the clouds of a star that is, of a, that has gone supernova. Mm -hmm. And it's where this, where those gases and everything collapse and create stars. And so in that, you know, decaying Mm. remnants of the body of a star, new stars are formed. It's literally the cycle is everywhere we look. Yes, everywhere, everywhere. So much so that it's just, it's ingrained in everything from, you know, the the flowers that you look at to the religions that, you know, people live by to everything. So, um, which brings me to another fun thing that I uh, read, which was, you know, this little myth that we may be familiar with, uh, one from the Aramaic, <laughs> Adam and Eve, you know. Um, so these were people <laughs> of Earth, you know, the first people of Earth created by God in his image, right? Um, and they were innocent and unashamed in their nakedness, spent their days in eternal, you know, Garden of Eden, super duper, allowed to eat anything they want, of course, as we know, except from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So one day... A little snaky, as we know, comes up and persuades them to eat the apple. And when God found out, he said, well, now you have to leave and you're condemned to suffering just like the rest of us. So at least in this example that I found, um, it was very interesting that they would say, you know, that man has now become like one of us knowing good and evil. Um, And, you know, it's highly disputed what exactly good and evil is. But for me and for a lot of people, it it doesn't really mean like good and evil. It just means like having an awareness of self and a yearning for knowledge. So, you know, sometimes um, that's that's one thing that really differentiates humans from everything else. You know, we want to learn. We want to fail. I mean, we don't want to fail, but like we do want to learn. And sometimes that's part of the failing. So, yeah. 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 So it's interesting that um, many people would consider the snake evil um, when I actually interpret it as more of a symbol of knowledge and wisdom. Right. Yeah. Totally, a totally different or valid interpretation of that story is you can't stay in the Garden of Innocence. Yes. If you have knowledge. If you well said. If you have knowledge of something Mm. it is that you have graduated out to the 
world of create of creation and of mm. creativity and that you've leveled up. You're no longer a baby. Well, there you go. Yes. You've right? leveled up. Yes. And so you can't be in the garden of innocence now that you have knowledge mm-hmm. from the tree of good yes. and evil, right? Yep. Or of or the the tree of or, the tree of the Ouroboros. Mm-hmm. Yes, right? exactly. The tree of yin and yang, of the tree that has the the tree that has of wisdom. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was very interesting. You know, I mean, my family has a, a Catholic kind of background and it never Same. really resonated with me. But now that I kind of know a lot more about a lot more in general, uh, kind of, I don't know, I have like a different viewpoints from it quite often, which is great. And isn't it interesting that Catholicism has, well, and not so much these days, and it does depend on which type of Catholicism, you know, and which sort of you know, if it's more of a conservative, restrictive, or whether it's more expansive and liberal, Mm. but the more restrictive and conservative Christian religions or any conservative restrictive religion eschews knowledge Mm -hmm. and doesn't want its its, um, adherents to learn or to be wise. Mm -hmm. And so wisdom is demonized. Mm, And so we, so we, so the early church made the snake into something evil mm-hmm. and made the tree the knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm curious about, you know, snakes are often seen as symbols of wisdom. Yes. And right. that that tree of knowledge, you know, sometimes it's said to be the tree of good and evil. Sometimes it's said to be the tree of knowledge or the tree of wisdom. There you go. So like, it's really interesting how suddenly wisdom or knowledge is demonized, mm-hmm. you know, when that then becomes in conflict with just do what this restrictive religion says, do what the church says and stop thinking for yourself. Right. Right. Just do what the patriarchy says, do what the man says. Yeah. Right. We'll, oh, we'll tell you that's... what to be scared of. We'll tell you what to not be scared of. Don't think about anything. Tithe your 10% and shut up. That's right. That's right. We'll mm-hmm. be accepting your donations at the end. Yeah. Yes. So doing your own research, that's why it's so important. <laughs> Especially <laughs> if it's a topic that scares you, just like we talked about last week. So, um, all right. So we're going to take a quick break because in the second half, we're going to kind of come around to where this picks up with the knitting end of the spectrum. So we will be right back. Hey, Magical Makers, guess what? You can now get sun and moon yarn kits from uuyarns.com. That's E-W-E-E-W-E yarns.com. My sun and moon shawl features two different weights of yarn. A smaller version can be made in fluffy fingering, and a larger version can be made out of woolly worsted. Both of these 100% merino yarns are super wash, and the color combinations are amazing. I even worked with Heather at UU Yarns to pre-coordinate several color combos that I think you guys will love. Learn more in our show notes or check out the kit at uuyarns.com. Hey, Jim, let's talk about a palm reading for a sec. Oh, yeah, my favorite topic. So I don't think a lot of people necessarily think of getting a palm reading, uh, but my palm reading with you was awesome and it actually helped with a lot of preconceived notions that I had of the craft before now. Oh. You had preconceived notions about palmistry? What were yeah. they? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I'm pretty literal. So I thought having a short lifeline might mean you have a short life. Right. And that a star on your palm is bad. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Both of those are 
comment, you know, a short lifeline does not mean a short life. It actually means a life of uh, connection with the divine and learning and creating type of life. And a star in your palm is a sign of spiritual gift. Those are two things that are dispelled right away. I know there's a lot of things on the palm that people think are good or bad, right? There's nothing inherently negative in your palm. You can use all the tools, all the markings. They are associated with your strengths, your personality, and things you can use in your life. Absolutely. I really love that modern take on palmistry. And it actually really resonated in my reading. I think everyone would enjoy a reading from you. And dear listener, if you too would like a fantastic experience that offers insight, direction, and clarity, I highly suggest booking a session with my dear friend, James Divine. And you can find more information at thedivinedhand.com. Thanks for listening. Let's jump back into our episode. Welcome back. All right, Jim, I know I've been talking your ear off, but I know you want to know how this all comes back to the knitting world, right? (laughs) Well, I mean, we always talk about the magic, right? And I think about this having to do with knitting, because I just think about like, knitting in the round, I think about knitting being like, I think about the yarn being a snake. I Mm -hmm. think about, you know, I have those two needles that are connected with like the plastic sort of yep. connector. Cord, yep. So I think of that kind of being, and they come together, right, right. as I'm knitting. Mm-hmm. So I guess I think about that kind of being an Ouroboros in a way. Absolutely. Like, sort of like as I'm knitting them together, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the action is like, they're always sort of together. But I think that I'm still a beginner and yeah. that's all I can think <laughs> How dare of. I put you on the spot? <laughs> That's all I well, can that's think of. Okay. I'm not on the spot, but that's great. Do, are that any is, of those close? That is a lot close. Did yes. I get it right, teacher? Did I get you it did. right? Did I get yes, you did. You did. <laughs> you did. And um, you probably don't know just because you're new into the game, but um, the Mobius for the knitting community has an even deeper meaning because it can be physically created by a cast on. Um, but wait, pause, pause. Pause. We'll come back to that because first, okay, yeah, okay, good. I need to explain a little bit more about the magic of this symbol because part of what I learned about this, because I, I do deep dives. If I'm going to learn something, I'm going to learn it all. And yeah. one thing that I saw in my research was a person named Carl Jung, and that's J-U-N-G. So I'm sorry if I'm saying it wrong. Carl Jung. Um, Yes. He was a famous psychiatrist in Freud's time that created the archetypes for, you know, the um, in, introvert and extrovert, right? Right. Um, and so he said that uh, this archetypal image of the Ouroboros resides in the collective unconsciousness. In the Jungarian analytical view, humanity from this concept uh, shares the collective soul that contains reoccurring themes. This can be done through dreams. One such uh, dream state that this symbol came about in was the molecular structure of benzene. <laughs> Right. Uh, And it was inspirationally revealed to August Kekule um, as he dreamed of what it would look like as a chemical compound. It had already been discovered, but nobody knew what it looked like as the chemical compound yet. And so through a daydream, it just came to him. Right. And uh, he was able to flesh out what it looked like. And it became, you know, a huge uh, help for all the aromatics. Can I just pause? So what's interesting about benzene Mm -hmm. is that it is a hexagon. 
It's yes. a hexagon of carbons. Mm-hmm. So what, a hexagon is the shape of a bee, uh, like a beehive, like the oh yeah, mm-hmm. honeycomb, like a honeycomb shape, mm-hmm. right? And so it's that six sided shape, and uh, carbon atoms will bond to each other. It's mm-hmm. one of the characteristics of carbon atoms. Silicon will also do it, but that's one of what we are carbon-based life forms. And so one of the interesting things about humans and carbon-based life forms on earth is that carbon will bond to itself and is sort of the basis of many organic compounds like fatty acids and sugar molecules and many other things. So Mm. benzene is a really fascinating molecule because it is a ring of carbons, Mm -hmm. six carbons within helium atoms bonded to it. So it's this really beautiful sort of perfect little um, mm-hmm. molecule that is circular yes. in shape, mm-hmm. which is, so to, I wanted to describe that for people, but it yeah. is a circular shape. Yes. And that's why we're talking about the Ouroboros, talking about the circular shape with what benzene is. Yes. And so this archetypal sort of idea of a circle mm-hmm. and circular shapes that sort of are, are there. Well, I can't <laughs> help but wonder about the DNA structure. Mm. Like yes. That's a spiral, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> and carbon is very, very much a part of the DNA structure, although that's a spiral, not a circle, mm-hmm. it is very interesting that the DNA is a helix, right? It's a spiral Absolutely. shape. Yeah. So it's very interesting. Okay. So we, t- we said a word earlier and didn't define it. So we mm-hmm. said the word Mobius. Yes. So can well, you man. tell, will you define um, who, what is Mobius? Who is Mobius? Yes. Can you go down that rabbit hole with us? So essentially, uh, Mobius or Mobius spelled two different ways, but the same thing. The one with the umlaut over it. Exactly. Must have been a German person. (laughs) That's a good point. Yes. Um, (laughs) In mathematics, a Mobius strip or band or loop um, is a surface with only one side and only one boundary curve. Uh, The Mobius strip is the simplest uh, non-orientable surface. (laughs) So you can never get it flat. It's just a pain to fold. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) You can make one. Yes. And how you make one is you take a strip of paper, Mm -hmm. take a thin strip of paper, and that has two sides. Mm -hmm. And you just give it a half a twist and tape those two ends together. And then if you take a marker... And you just follow it all the way along. Mm-hmm. Eventually, the line will meet itself. Exactly. And, and it's very cool. Yes. It's so cool that you can do exactly that thing in knitting. And that is a... What? That's, it's a uh, modified Mobius cast on or like the easy way to do it would be when you join it in the round instead of most instructions will say, do not twist or be careful not to twist when joining. Well, this one you would intentionally put one twist in to make the Mobius. However, many knitters will know the term Mobius as a cast on method that was created by one of the coolest, most interesting, like totally mind blowing designers in our time, Cat. Cat Bordy just unfortunately recently passed last year, but um, what she did in our world of knitting was insane. And so here, here is a little bit um, about her technique. As I said, 
some may know this uh it was invented by Cat Bordy. She's a visionary of our modern time. Um she researched about creating this technique and after I saw her book A Treasury of Magical Knitting, a collection of Mobius designs featuring her cast on technique, I read that um I wanted to know like okay well what inspired her to even like care about a Mobius, right? You can just cast on and twist it and just do it that way. Why do you want to do something else? Well, under her book description for this one, she says, I fell under the spell of the Mobius knitting in 2002 after jumping out of bed one night with the sudden realization of how to cast on for a Mobius. Now, we just heard how uh, our previous scientist friend had like intuited the information from a daydream as well. Is it a coincidence that Kat had a very similar, you know, experience with this? Um, and that then for a whole year, she was just totally obsessed with it and made two books and like probably over 100 designs. <laughs> mm, wow, is this proving Carl so... Jung's point? <laughs> yeah, that this that Carl Jung said that the Ouroboros is an archetype mm -hmm. that is embedded within the human psyche. Mm -hmm. And he, his theory was like. Um, you know, Katie said, there are these archetypes. I mean, Jungian psychology is this idea that there are archetypes embedded within our psychology. That this idea of cyclical, the cyclical idea of the Ouroboros is one of those archetypes, right? Mm -hmm. And that sort of cat had this, you know, idea, oh my God, I could knit in, in this Mobius way mm -hmm. in a dream, similar yes. to the scientist that intuited the yeah, molecular the structure of, of benzene. <laughs> Exactly. Wow, that's yeah. a trip. I, that's so cool. I got chills, Jim. <laughs> I think this was the moment where I was like texting you, like, "Oh my god, I can't wait to tell you what I just learned." I was what like, "Wow, Katie." <laughs> yeah, what is that exciting that's about circles? Cool. I know. I can't help but wonder if maybe Cat also liked snakes. I just am curious. <laughs> right. Yeah, so um, so a couple other things about Cutboardy that were interesting that I wanted to share was, um, so like I said, last July, Kat announced on her blog that she was dying, which is, of course, a huge hit because, like I said, she had touched a lot of people. She was a huge um, instructor, not just designer. Um, I actually... I don't recall meeting her, but I, I just missed her when I first started at Scassell um, because I ended up, one of my first jobs there was to edit all of these videos that she had just taken being in town. So it was kind of funny that I was like, oh, I, I almost I have like, you know, sort of side connection with her. Well, I wanted to know, you know, more than just that, that she was a really good instructor and that I loved editing her videos. Um, so I went back and looked at this post and, you know, she shares a story, Jim, that I think you will really appreciate. She says, when I was 12, my rascal friend Janet and I stepped into the lair of Madame Marla, who emerged behind beaded curtains with a dish rag in her hand. She had just been washing ditches as we jangled the doorbell. For $2, she agreed to read our palms. The fact that, you know, she was so open-minded that she would go to do something like that, even at a young age and... You know, I don't think she ever lost that sense of wonder through her whole life. I think um, I thought that was really interesting. And I actually got extra chills because we know a local palm reader named Marla. <laughs> so uh, Mystic Marla. So I was like, ooh, she's in Spokane. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so so I thought, oh, my gosh, what an incredible coincidence. And then, 
you know, like I said, we we were scheduling this episode. Um, the topic kind of like jumped a little bit from different weeks. And um, I just happened to realize since I had been doing so much, re so much research that um, the 19th of September was the day she passed. And so our episode will come out within three days of her passing. So I almost feel like it's uh, it's her reaching through, you know, a little bit. And so if that's true, then let's uh, let's thank her for all of her awesome work and everything she left behind, because truly people get remembered, but legends never die, you know, so. Yeah, amazing, yeah. amazing. So wow, things I didn't blowing. think I was going to make connections of when I just started. And it does all come around, right? It yeah. really does. Yeah. What a fantastic so. story. And yeah. that it comes back to, you know, Kat and yeah. her, the difference she made. Mm -hmm. And it continues. The cycle continues, right? Yep. Well, Kat didn't. Cat didn't really die. She just right. found the Philosopher's Stone and stepped off the mortal coil. There you go. <laughs> yeah, great point. I feel like she would totally agree with that too. Well, in a way, it's true, right? Because mm -hmm. her work and what she contributed to the fiber crafting world and yeah. her amazing work. I mean, mm -hmm. anyone can look up. I mean, we'll have uh, links in the show notes. Absolutely. And I think her website catbordy that's c-a-t-b-o-r-d-h-i.com mm -hmm. is still active right absolutely yep yeah and i mean that's pretty amazing to just you know be able to look at her stuff and be inspired today mm -hmm. these yep. forward-thinking artists and people you know their legacy mm. continues and i think that's a really cool thing and yep. this is how you know she inspired you right and yep, exactly in ways I didn't even realize she would. So yeah, thank you, Kat. Appreciate it. <laughs> you you get to continue that as another segment, another cycle of that Ouroboros. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And, you know, by her really donating um, the information on how to do this cast on to make this Mobius, you know, because it's it's not easy, <laughs> um, but it's worth it. You, you cast on in the middle of a project, Jim, and you knit out both sides from it using her technique so you end up casting on the outside of both of the cowl pieces we'll say at once and knitting them all together in this insane way that she figured out i highly recommend youtubing this um because it's a mind blow <laughs> what do you end up with you end up with an infinite cowl you know a, a mobius loop but without starting with a strip <laughs> So you don't have to sew it together. No. Mm -mm. Like yeah. I would think that a Mobius, you would, you would knit like a scarf and you'd twist it and knit, stitch it together at one end. You It'd have a seam. So this is a, too. but this is a seamless yes. Mobius. Mm -hmm. You're knitting like the, the, you know, the eternal. Figure shape. eight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah crazy whoa crazy. yeah not the easy way that's for sure <laughs> she's a physicist for real yes yes so um very yeah, cool very interesting so now i know a lot of people who have used that technique to then create their own designs so it sort of continues so, yes amazing exactly. so yeah well so, yeah. that's so cool katie thank you for sharing that yeah it's moving for letting me go on my little tangent <laughs> Hopefully others will enjoy it too. So 
Oh, all right. Awesome. Well, let's let's wrap by uh, just saying what we might have going on. Um, I a know, lot going on. Yes, I currently am running, as you know, my birthday sale starting. <gasps> Yay! Today. Happy yeah. happy birthday! Happy yeah, birthday! That's right. So all my self published light from lantern patterns are twenty percent off through the nineteenth of September, twenty twenty one. No coupon required. Just add them to your cart, and they will go automatically. So I really appreciate your support, and hopefully you'll find something you like for the upcoming knitting season. Hooray! It's a great deal. <laughs> I know it's sweater weather's coming, so mm-hmm. get yourself knitting something. That's right, sweater. Yes. Yeah. So yes. Well, this weekend, mm. if you're listening and you listen yes. in time, mm-hmm. this weekend, which is September, oh, I better look at a calendar before I screw it up. <laughs> Uh, September 17th, 18th, 19th. Yes. I'm presenting at the Astromagia Conference, Ooh. which is an online conference. And if you listen to this, today's Wednesday or Thursday, you can still, I think, register for Astromagia, probably up to the last second. Um, my presentation is on Sunday, the 19th. Um, and I'm presenting a talk. There are amazing presenters i'm presenting presenting a talk um on the modern mudras harnessing the p- planetary power on your palms mm. um pretty amazing conference um not that expensive to attend and the and level virtual, right it's virtual it's online yes. and the level of people who are presenting are off the charts so mm. highly well, recommended there, <laughs> well yeah there's me but there are people who are i'm just like whoa so <laughs> oh. Even Highly podcast. recommended. All right. And um, if you subscribe to my email list, mid-October, I'm going to be teaching Intro to Palmistry, the Divine Hand Method. Oh. And um, uh, that I'm announcing now. It'll be mid-October. Mm. Get in. Um, if you're on my email list, there'll be a special. If you're not on my email list, there won't be a special. You'll just have to learn about it on on social media. Ooh, snoozy lose. So, right. FYI. But you know whose email list you should really subscribe to? What? Light from Lanterns. Oh, my gosh. List. And you can <laughs> so do that at lightfromlantern.com and follow Katie at lightfromlantern on Instagram. No. And um, also knit a spell. We're on Instagram. And yes. check us out. And leave a comment or review us on any of the podcast platforms. And thank you for listening. Or just listen. You don't have to do any of that. Just enjoy it. Yeah, just keep listening. Appreciate it. (laughs) Tell your friends. Awesome. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, if you guys have any thoughts on our episode or the Ouroboros or Mobiuses in general, please reach out. You can always email us at knitaspellpodcast at gmail.com or like Jim said, reach us, uh, DM us on our Knitaspell Instagram account. Um, but yeah, otherwise, we can't wait to see you next week. Until then, everybody, we'll see you later. Bye, Jim. Bye, everybody. This episode is a wrap. If you enjoyed what you heard, go ahead and follow us on your favorite podcast streaming app. And don't forget, you can see full video episodes of Knit a Spell on Light from Lantern's YouTube channel.